0: we just stop where we are just stop for a moment we're going to pray and just want to take a moment just to thank the lord father thank you for just being able to come before you this morning and for the blood of christ and we just want to pause and worship you and adore you lord and father we know that we still sin and we Confess our sins before you as we think through our own lives as believers. And we thank you that they're under the blood. And help us to be willing to keep turning from those things that displease you. That you can grow us to be, Lord, the people you want us to be. And we thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have in Christ. The life we have in Christ. And uh, Lord, we just uh, want to, to honor you and praise you and thank you. And Lord, I want to, as we wind down this season of dealing with the virus in our church, Lord, I'm so excited about this coming week and marking the end of a lot of things we've been having to do differently. I just want to praise you and thank you for protecting us, Uh, Lord, as a church body on the whole, and just give you praise for that and thank you for that, Lord, how you have sustained us. And I pray you give us wisdom as we seek to move forward as your people together. Now, help me, Lord, um, in this message to preach as a dying man to dying men. And Father, help us to draw our attention to, Lord, um, things above where our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And let that be the basis from how we live on this earth that we're citizens of heaven. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to, um, didn't want to stop and just praise the Lord. And that uh, this kind of marks, before I get started here, the last kind of hurrah in relationship to things we've been doing differently for COVID. So uh, next Sunday, the service in the gym that's going on right now will be over. So we'll all be back in here together. It's a very busy holiday week. weekend. We have a lot of people on the road, but we'll also be uh, having the picnic Saturday, voting on our long range plan on Sunday. And that's simply a, a plan to say where we're going years down the road as we construct buildings And then hopefully out of that, begin to think about the next phase of building in the life of our church. We'll soon have the hymnals back in the pews and the Bibles. Uh, You'll soon be receiving a piece when you come in each week regarding announcements and places to register as a guest. And by the way, if you are a guest right now, there's little tear-offs in in the back of your pew. You can fill those out and drop them in the bucket on your way out. And uh, we'll follow up with you and share with you more about our church. And then we'll soon be passing the offering plates again as well. And just trying to slowly move back into the way that we are used to doing things. But I do want to just give God thanks publicly today that, you know, in our church, we've had a few people sickened, um, very sick with COVID, um, some in the hospital for weeks. Uh, But the only two people that died that I know of were two of our uh, men who had dementia um and uh, maybe another complications that actually took their lives Uh, we've had i don't know how many people sick through the years we had a breakout one time back last october with many people in our church and so uh, god has been very good to us so good to us and that i've talked to a lot of pastors who've lost several people in their church through covid and uh, we just have been blessed and not having to go through that so we give god all the honor and the praise and the glory for that. But I'm really excited about next week of being back together and uh, just having another step of this uh, behind us. Today, we finish our series on uh, living with the matter of faith. This will be the fifth message, and we'll start going another uh, direction uh, next week. Many years ago, before I came to Concord, I was pastoring somewhere else. I, along with two of my church members, was visiting the home of a of a couple who had recently visited one of our services the previous Sunday as a matter of fact and the people we went to see they were both professing believers and so uh, as our conversation, conversation got started the husband who was probably in his 60s said he really liked my sermon that past Sunday and, and I perked up on that but he said he really liked my sermon that past Sunday because I hadn't talked about money well I was appreciative that he had appreciated my message that past Sunday. I mean, he could have said what one lady said to another pastor in the past, a well-known pastor, I can't remember who it was that said it, but he said that he had a lady that told him that she had never understood suffering until she heard him speak. And so, you know, he he could have said something like that to me, but he, he didn't. But as we talked, I began to realize how he got to that point, what his perspective was, and, and as I did, I was not encouraged by why he liked my message the previous week, but enough of that. I, I don't often preach on the subject of money and giving unless I come across it when preaching through a book of the Bible or when it is appropriate to a certain series, and this morning I am going to talk about it for a few moments in a broad way. Because it is pertinent to the series we've been in for a few weeks entitled The Matter of Faith. And this message again is the last one on this uh, excursion of living by faith. And we've learned what faith is. In Hebrews 11, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. And the ancients in the past were commended for their faith. And the point is that the people in the Old Testament, God spoke to them, gave them his word, and they trusted him in his character his promises, his precepts, and they lived their lives out of those things. They trusted the Lord, and they built their lives out of what he said, and they leaned upon him. And so that's really what faith is. It's trusting in the character of God enough to believe his word, act on his word, trust his word, obey his word, believing he'll be true to his promises and that his principles and wisdom lead us to the best life that he intends for us. And as I live this way, I believe that that pleases him and I will grow toward becoming like Jesus, which is his intended destiny for me. Well, our text today, as we finish this out, talking about living by faith in relationship to money, is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. If you would like to open your Bibles there with me this morning. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You know, if you've been around for a while, this is the story of the widow's mite, as it is called. The mite being the smallest value coin in Israel at the time. The word is a contraction of the word minute, comes from the Latin word minutum. And it is the translation of the Greek word lepton. Mites were small bronze coins or copper coins of very little value. Now this story is found in two of the synoptic gospels. It's found here in Mark and it's also found in Luke. And it is filled with lessons. Jesus uses the actions of this woman to teach his disciples and to teach us something about stewardship, giving, and faith. So again, as we're devoting one message to each of these certain topics related to living by faith, I'm painting a broad brush picture. So what can we learn in that way about the relationship of money use and giving to trusting God in daily life? Well, first of all, we learn from this text and others we're going to look at that trusting God and my stewardship of money are interrelated. While that man didn't want to talk about it, The text here begins to remind us in other places that these things are interrelated. So in this passage that we're reading this morning, Jesus is near the end of his earthly life. This is his last week of life on earth. He is in Jerusalem around the temple complex. He is teaching during the day and soon he's going to be arrested at night so as to avoid the crowds who have been listening to him. And so while Jesus is there, he sits down and begins observing people. And he's observing their giving, putting money into the treasury, it says here. And in the temple complex, there were various courts or you know, designated places for different groups. You had the court of the men, the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles. And so this woman would have been in the court of the women. And so he's watching her. And around this court, there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles in which people would come and drop their money as an offering. So he watches her. But he's also observing all of these other people. And he's observing what they're doing. He sees what she is doing. He sees and knows what the others are doing. And he knows what they're giving in relationship to what they possess. And he knows the motives of their hearts. Because he's God. And what we learn from Scripture is that while the man, again, I visited, did not want to talk about money in relationship to God, he did not want God's church to talk about money God wants to talk about money, apparently, and He does so here in relationship to measuring our trust in Him. He ties it here to the issue of living by faith. And so in the scripture, we see that God, in His Trinitarian nature, is concerned about these things. He's observant of our use of money. And so in the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, we see that the Father is observing. The people of Israel, in relationship to their giving, and they're not doing very well. And he calls them out on it. And so in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. This is God talking to his people, robbing him. But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, he says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the whole tithe, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So here we see that the Father is observing the giving of his people. In the passage we've read this morning, we see the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, in his incarnate nature, observing the giving of the people. And then when we turn to the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit also observes and tests the heart and thinks about the heart in relationship to giving. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible says in Acts 5, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, listen, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And so the story goes on that they lied to the Spirit and they both, their lives are taken for that. But The idea here is they they sold it. They were free to give it all or give none of it. Well, what they did is that they lied about it, that they were giving the full value of what they sold the property for, yet they held some of it back. But notice the Holy Spirit is observing what's taking place here, and they lie to the Holy Spirit. So the point for the moment, though, that I want us to see is that we need to understand and see that God cares about what he about the use of what He entrusts to us and is related to our walk of faith and the full trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are all in observance of our relationship to our money that we possess. And one way we show faith is apparently seen in our giving. And Jesus pointed that out about this woman. She gave all that she had. The idea is she gave all because she was trusting God to take care of her. Others gave a pittance, the wealthy, and they relied on themselves. She gave all, and he calls it out, he points it out. The idea is that she trusted me enough to give it all. That's the point. The scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, and you abound in that work through your giving. God loves those who give cheerfully in that way. And So the point is that Jesus here, he found joy over this poor widow and her trust in God, her walk of faith. So the first principle here is we learn from this story that trust in God and my stewardship of money are interrelated and is tied to my walk of faith. And God's observing that in my life. Then the second thing I want us to see from this passage and others today, and that is that God owns everything. And I am only a steward, a caretaker. And so, this is the second principle. So, I'm just addressing this today in these terms of uh, of being principles. God owns everything, and I am a steward or a caretaker of what belongs to Him. And so, the balance of this, then, would be that God owns everything, and I actually own nothing. I don't own anything. I am a steward. And I'm to live by faith with that perspective. And so when I give, I cannot turn around and say, well, I've given God His, and the rest belongs to me to do with what I please. I can't live that way because as a steward, I don't own anything. And so I asked Andrew this morning to read as our scriptural call to worship, 1 Chronicles 29. And in that passage... David had wanted to build the temple for God, and God said, because you're a man of war, I'm not going to let you build it, but your son Solomon is going to build it. You're going to be dead, but you can make preparation. So David starts making preparation. He gives a large sum, and then he calls the people to give sacrificially toward the temple. And then we we hear his prayer, his public prayer. And I want you to turn back to that passage in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 12 through 16. And hear what David says in his prayer. 1 Chronicles 29, he says in verse 12, listen to the point that God owns everything. He says, wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, pick up at verse 14. Read this carefully. But who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And listen, and we have given you only what comes from your hand, right? It all belongs to you. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to who? You. Everything belongs to you. And similarly, David said in Psalm 24:1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world and all who live in it. So in this, David is acknowledging that you and I are only caretakers, stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We give part of that back to him, but even what we still possess, he is ultimately the owner of it all. And so he has entrusted these things for us to use in the right way for his glory, as he did for them. Now I want you to understand that if we can begin to live with this perspective, that I own nothing, God owns everything. He's entrusted things to me for my care for him. I'm a steward of his possessions. And if I can begin to live my life through those lenses, it will protect us from greed. And you know, I think in our culture, greed is a a great temptation in a culture like ours for believers. We don't think about it a lot, but it really is. And The Bible says that greed is what? Idolatry. It has been said that Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks that they are guilty of it. But you see, when we see that God owns everything, that I own nothing, I'm just a steward, it will keep me from falling into greed. It will keep me from comparing myself uh, to others. Tim Keller wrote this about the counterfeit God of money. He said it uses powerful sociological and psychological dynamics. He said everyone tends to live in a particular socioeconomic bracket. Once you're able to afford to live in a particular neighborhood, send your children to its schools, participate in its social life, you'll find yourself surrounded by quite a number of people who have more money than you. You don't compare yourself to the rest of the world. You compare yourself to those in your bracket. The human heart always wants to justify itself, and this is one of the easiest ways. You say, I don't live as well as him or her or them. My means are modest compared to theirs. He says you can reason and think like that no matter how lavishly you're living. He says, as a result, most Americans think of themselves as middle class, and only 2% call themselves upper class. He says, but the rest of the world is not fooled. When people from the other parts of the world visit our country, they're staggered to see the level of materialistic comfort that the majority of Americans have come to view as a necessity. And so the point is, if I can begin to live through the perspective that I don't own anything, I'm only a possessor of these things for the glory of God as a steward, Perhaps it can help me get out of that area of comparison, area of thinking in this culture that I have to have more to find meaning in life, enjoy life, have more possessions, more things that can protect my heart from greed, which is idolatry, which is a real thing that, that if we're honest, people wrestle with in this society if they think about it. And furthermore, if I can think about this, it's going to free me to live obediently in money and other areas addressed related to how I steward my resources. And again, I'm just having to speak broadly today, but just think about what the scripture says about a steward of God's money. What do they do with it? I'm told in Romans 13:8 to pay my debts. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I'm told by God to pay my taxes. Romans 13, 6 and 7. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. I'm told to not be dependent on others by working and making money and using it in the right way. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. We should put that as a if you're gonna get a tattoo, that'd be a good one. You should mind your own business. <laughs> and work with I'm not saying get a tattoo. Don't go. say the pastor. Just mind your own business. And work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. So Christians are to be people that manage their money for God, it's his money, and in that I pay my debts, I pay my taxes, I take care of my responsibilities, I mind my business. I live in such a way that I'm not dependent upon anybody so they'll know that I'm dependent upon the Lord and I, I, I walk with him and he takes care of me. I'm told to use my money to give to others. Ephesians four twenty-eight says that we are to, believers are not to steal but, quote, must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And like David in this text, and like this poor widow, I'm also then to give by faith, as a matter of worship to the Lord, as a matter of discipline in serving the Lord and to help advance the kingdom of God into the world. So God observes how I use my money, that is his money, secondly, because I am a steward who owns nothing, he owns all, and I'm simply to manage what he entrusts to me. And if I can look at life in that way, it will protect me from greed, and it will help me keep things in balance and help me begin to live as I'm giving to the Lord for that eternal goal, eternal perspective, and also keep me from pride, and to keep me from comparing myself to others, because I don't own anything. God has chosen to give me what I have, to bless me in this way, but it's his, and that's how I want to live, is to honor him. Thirdly, third principle, the principle of trust begins with my giving sacrificially and then trusting him to meet my needs so we're talking here now about our giving to the Lord. And that's really the top tier thing we're talking about today. God observes my use of money in relationship to him and my giving is tied to my walk of faith. I'm a steward. I own nothing. And then As I walk in trust, one area of life where this really begins and where it really really helps us is it begins with my giving sacrificially and then trusting him to meet my needs. Somebody said, if you want to see how faithful we are to the Lord, let's look at your checkbook. God doesn't really have you until he has your pocketbook. That's the point. So one major spiritual point that's being made in this story of the widow's might is that she, in giving all that she had, Jesus isn't saying that every time we come to give, we'll give everything that we have in our possession. I'll come back to that in a moment. The others are giving just a little bit out of, out of abundance. Jesus is saying she showed that she was the one with genuine faith, genuine trust when she was coming to the house of God. She gave sacrificially to the point that she had to learn to depend on God to take care of her needs. The others gave out of abundance, and they never thought about having to pray about their material needs being met, never thought about really being thankful perhaps over the food they purchased for their tables, never gave a second thought about how they would have to make hard decisions in the week ahead, as she would have to do, because they gave out of their abundance. They do not give sacrificially. They gave from what they had left over. She gave sacrificially, and Jesus holds this up for us. So you see that God has designed for us then that we learn to walk in trust by giving us certain things for which we're to be stewards and he desires for us to learn to trust him by giving back a portion of that. And that portion in how Christians have come to understand scripture is the tithe or the tenth. The tithe means the tenth or 10%. That's sort of a, a settled thing among believers for 2,000 years. In the Bible, as we think about giving a 10th, we find that principle predates the law. If you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 14 in verses 18 through 20, we find the story of Abraham, the father of our what? Faith. The father of faith. So Abraham rescues his nephew Lot. Gains back, the material possessions have been taken away, and he comes to Salem, which is the ancient city of Jerusalem. And in Salem, he meets a man named Melchizedek, who is the king and priest of Salem. In the New Testament, he is held up as a type of Christ, a type of Jesus, the king and priest of Jerusalem. And so this is before the commandments are ever given, before the law is given to Israel. We see Abraham, the father of our faith. What does he do? In Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, it says that then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so we see this principle of giving of the tenth before the law. Then God raises up Israel and he gives them the law. And the tenth or the tithe is central in the law of God of the Jews and their giving. And he gave them that principle. And that's why God confronted the Jews in Malachi. And when he says, how are you robbing me? You're robbing me by not bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And then when we come to the New Testament, we find Jesus. Do you think Jesus was a tither? The money that came in and the money bag that was held by Jew, Do you think Jesus believed in tithing? He affirmed the whole Old Testament. He was, a, he was an Orthodox Jew. He tithed. You think Paul, who had been a Pharisee, tithed? Absolutely. Do you think the apostles had been raised as Jews and taught these things? Tithed? Absolutely. But one thing we do need to see in the New Testament, while the law of the tithe is not repeated, the principle of sacrificial giving is. And that's why we find this story here of this woman. So you remember in the New Testament where Jesus takes the law and he deepens it. You've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit what? Adultery. But I tell you, if you look upon somebody and lust for them in your heart, you've committed adultery with them already, right? He did that in relationship to a lot of different things. Jesus here is taking it as well and deepening it and pointing out this woman. He's not saying that giving is not important. He is saying it is extremely important. But the basis from which we we give is is not the law in that sense, but it is is out of love and trust to Him. And the proper starting place then to learn to live by giving and trusting the Lord is is starting with that tenth and there's the rub. Many professing Christians have difficulty in thinking about giving the tithe today, it seems, because they're not sure they can trust God to take care of them. Plus, for others, the more they make, the more difficult for them to give becomes because they begin to think, this is a lot of money I'm giving that I could do with this or do something else with that. And for them, that is where the temptation to greed begins to rear its head. And it appears that many professing believers have abandoned being stewards, abandoned tithing in relationship to sacrificial giving. We're on track in the American church with current trends that by 2050, people will only be giving a little over 1.6% of their income to the church. We're making more as Americans. God has been good to us, and yet we're giving less. U.S. per capita disposable after-tax personal income has increased by 157% since 1968. Yet our giving to the church has only increased by 82%. So the point is, is that we're missing the point. God still expects us to give, but now it's out of the motivation of the heart to worship Him. We shouldn't think less about giving than the Jews in the Old Testament under the law, We live under grace. We should be more grateful and thankful. And for us, the minimum starting point should be the tenth as the lowest starting point for us as believers. And Jesus brings out this woman for us to see this idea of the fact that we're to give now with a different understanding of motivation. Now, some people try to justify this matter of not thinking about the tenth or a tithe by saying that technically we're not under the law anymore and so I don't have to give a tenth. But What I'm wanting you to hear and what I'm saying this morning is that Jesus in this story shows us in his observance and he is God that he looks at the heart and the principle, listen, the principle here, let me sum it up for us, the principle is not how little must I give to meet the demands of the law, I'm not under the law in that sense, But since this is deeper now, I give for a different reason. I have more light than a Jew. The principle is not how little must I give as a believer, but rather the principle is how much can I give unto the Lord. And she gave everything that she had in faith, and Jesus holds this up. And the point is that the New Testament does not lessen the need to give sacrificially. It just changes the motivation for giving to being that I really want to give out of love for the Lord, worship to the Lord. I want to give in such a way that I learn to trust God more, focus less on things and possessions, which is what our culture is focused on, or things and possessions. I want to be moving away from that in my life as a Christian, and I want to help advance his kingdom because this kingdom is passing away. And my treasure is in heaven, not here. And again, I like the way Tim Keller answers this argument that people often have today about I don't feel like I have to tithe this, I'm not under the law anymore. He said this, he said, he uh he said, there have been times when people have come to me as their pastor and asked about tithing. And I, and I get this as well. Giving away a tenth of their annual income. They notice that in the Old Testament there are many clear commands that believers should give away 10%. But in the New Testament, specific quantitative requirements for giving are less prominent. They often ask me, you don't think that now in the New Testament believers are absolutely required to give away 10%, do you? And he said, um, I shake my head No. And he said, they, they give this huge sigh of relief. All right. But then I quickly add this. He says, but I'll tell you why you don't see the tithing requirement laid out clearly in the New Testament. Think. Have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace than the Old Testament believers? Or less? He says, usually there is uncomfortable silence. He says, are we more debtors to grace than They were or less. Did Jesus tithe his life and blood to save us? Or did he give it all? And then he says tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a position of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding of what God did to save them. I think that is... A very wise statement and way to think about this issue. And I just tell you from personal experience that if you say you can't afford to tithe, I would argue with you, you cannot afford, uh, you cannot afford not to tithe. God will teach you to walk by faith. He will come through for you in answers to your prayers, and over time he will bless you in relationship to your giving. By faith, I. was going to tell you a long story, but I'm not going to. I just say that I've been tithing since I was uh, giving since I went to Sunday school as a little kid when change my parents gave me. Tithing since I started working my first job, a uh, paint job, and I was 14. But my first real job was McDonald's, where the sh- shake machine was always broken then, as it is now, and uh, started tithing from that point and. Going went to seminary with nothing, part-time jobs, my wife and I. She didn't come from a background where she was taught this, but we made that commitment. God has blessed us down through the years. He's always taken care of us. He's grown our faith. There have been times we've been on our knees and saying, Lord, we really need you to come through, and he's never failed. And I just challenge you to begin that discipline in your life. And the, the final quick thing, let me just say that growth and giving then Growth in giving is the goal. That's the last principle to take away. We should begin with the tithe to seek to grow our giving as we can as God blesses us with more. And we don't always have more. Sometimes people have less. Life changes. Hardships come. People retire. But the point is that as a matter of what we're giving as a percent of income, our hearts should want to give more as we go to sacrifice for the advance of his kingdom, to leave legacy money behind when we go, to help those around me more, Our hearts are to be reflective of the fact that we're growing in generosity because we give out of gratitude for the grace of God He has shown in my life. Because we know of a greater eternal kingdom that is coming, that we want to advance. Because our hearts and our treasure in heaven. And because we know, as Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. And because we know that Jesus said this aspect of our lives will be brought up at judgment. Read Matthew 25. And you will see That truth. And finally, because we want to worship God by allowing our lives to be conduits of His blessings to others and not receptacles that hoard and ultimately ruin us. As the man in the story, he wanted to build bigger barns because he had so much stuff, and Jesus said, You're a fool. Tonight, your life, your soul is required of you. So, living by faith in relationship to money a whole lot more we could say, but we'll leave it there for today. Four principles. To live by. Let's stand, let's pray, and then we'll come to our time of commitment. So what is the challenge today for us? I just want to challenge all of us to commit to these principles and seek to begin to live out of them. Start somewhere if you're not giving and begin to move in that direction in your life. Maybe you're up to your eyeballs in debt. A lot of Americans are. 78% of American workers live paycheck to paycheck. More than 25% set aside no savings each month. I mean, you're sur- uh, struggling with consumer debt. You want to give, but you feel burdened down. We have people that would will be willing to help you sit down and develop a plan of how you can get out of debt, how you can begin to save, how you can begin to give for the glory of God in your life. Commit to grow in giving and commit to living by faith by giving sacrificially. Father, thank you for the gift of all that you've given to us in possessions and money. We pray you'd help us to be stewards. We know, Lord, that you're working through this to grow us as we handle this uh, these resources. And Lord, we pray that you protect us from greed and holding on. And Father, help us to be conduits of what you put in our hands. Help us to begin with that principle of of a tenth and to seek to grow from that and really trust you, Lord, to take care of us day by day and to watch you come through, as you say in Malachi, that you will. And Father, I just pray that you would encourage our hearts through this message and, Lord, that um, you just stir our hearts to, to want to live with the type of faith that that widow had that you commended. I pray, God, that you would encourage people in the room who may be struggling financially, jobs have changed, COVID's been hard. I just pray, Lord, nothing that I've said is, is hurt in a way that I'm trying to put a guilt trip on anybody in no way whatsoever. We just want to grow together in this area of life. and It's important, and I pray you help us continue to grow. Help me to continue to grow as I think about my life unfolding in these, these years, Lord, that uh, I'm in and moving into, and that, Lord, I uh, can live them well and grow in stewardship uh, in my life. Bless this church, Lord, and help it to be a, a great, Lord, uh, body of ministry that what's poured into it is poured out and lives, Lord, can be transformed. Lord, those you're leading today to take next steps in membership, baptism, whatever it may be, grant them grace to come. In Jesus' name, amen.